Bible this morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy, and let's go to chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This morning we want to look at this topic, verses 1 through 9. Timothy's genuine faith. Now we know that Timothy was called to saving grace. And then we know that Timothy was called into the ministry. But it's not without trial. And it's not without many times questions. Imagine yourself at this time, if you're Timothy, your teacher, the man that brought you to saving grace, the man that shared Christ with you, the man that now is incarcerated there in Rome. And you're thinking, am I ever going to see him again? And look at what the ministry got Paul now, my teacher, incarcerated. Did Timothy sense like Paul sensed that he was going to lose his head? That eventually he would be beheaded by Nero? We know historically that's exactly what happens. This is uh, Paul's second imprisonment. And that he would be martyred. He would never see Timothy again. He sees Timothy as his own son. In fact, he calls him his beloved son. And so it's interesting to me that Paul speaks about to Timothy. But what about us this morning? Concerning genuine faith. Faith that is not uh, fake. Faith that is not hypocritical. Faith that is not unfeigned. But faith that's powerful. Faith that comes from the throne room of God. Faith that the power of the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of you. And so this is Timothy. You're going to see this morning that basically his faith is asleep. Because Paul has to say, stir it up. Rekindle the fire. And sometimes we so easily fall trapped to that. Now, as we get into 2 Timothy chapter 1, as I always do, I'd like to give a little bit of introduction. And so, as we get into this beautiful epistle, the author is the Apostle Paul, Paul of Tarsus. It's written to Timothy. He's the pastor there at Ephesus. The place of the writing, Paul is in prison. This is his second time in prison there in Rome. The date of the writing is somewhere around 64 A.D. We know that this is considered also a pastoral epistle. But it's almost like it's just speaking to to Timothy as the pastor of the church. And he encourages him in this, have genuine faith, Timothy. And so that's encouragement to me. That's encouragement to you this morning. And so we see the purpose now. And I'll give, I want to give you four points before we get into uh, the teaching. Number one, he encourages him in this letter to remain faithful. Remain faithful, Timothy, uh, to the work of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which you have been called to proclaim. Secondly, Paul encourages Timothy to continue to learn. What you have already learned as a Christian, listen, as a pastor. And sometimes uh, bringing back to remembrance or repetitious teaching is the best teacher. We have to be reminded. And then thirdly, Paul encourages Timothy, and it never happened. Come and visit me in Rome. Historically, biblically, we don't see anywhere that Timothy actually got to be with him in Rome. But the desire to see him again. As he looked at Timothy as my beloved son. My son in the spirit. And I know that Timothy wanted to see Paul. And then lastly here. And I believe this is a key. That the encouragement. Because this is Paul's last letter. He pours out his heart to Timothy. He calls him my beloved son. Now, we know that Paul most likely was married. In order to be a Pharisee, which he was, and to be in the Sanhedrin, one of the positions was that you needed to be married. Now, many scholars believe, because we have no historical record or biblical record of Paul's marriage, but it could have been that his wife died. 
It could have been that uh, when Paul left Judaism, he left financially a, lo- a large sum of money. He was well taken care of being in the Sanhedrin and, and being a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so some believe maybe his wife took off because finances were no longer there. Remember that Paul, in the book of Acts, he takes back his trade as a tent maker. He's there with Aquila and Priscilla. And so he's working for his salary now. It could be that she left him. We don't know. And then we understand about Timothy. We know that he was, we're going to see it in the letter this morning. He was raised by his mother uh, and his grandmother. But there's no mention of Timothy's father, his biological dad. Did he die? Did he leave? We don't know. But he was raised by grandma and, and by mom. And so imagine, what, what would you write? I was thinking of this myself. What would I write? What would be the legacy? What would I leave my children? What would I leave my wife? What would you leave your spouse, your wife, your husband? What would you leave your children? What would you leave the ministry? If this was my last sermon, and I knew it would be my last sermon, how would I preach it? How would you live this whole week if you knew your time was coming, you were short? And we should live that way every day. And so Paul encourages them, have this genuine faith. Not faith of hypocrisy, but genuine faith. And so we begin here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 1 and 2. This is called the greeting. He begins and he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I love this, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We know that the word apostolos basically means, Paul is saying here, I am an ambassador, I am a representative of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then he says here that Paul was called by the will of God. You see, there were those that challenged Paul's authority. There were those that challenged Paul's call to ministry. Well, Paul was a tyrant. Paul was a a murderer. Paul killed uh, Christians. And now he has the authority. And so Paul says, my call comes by the will of God. In other words, that Paul was not self-appointed. Paul was not man-appointed. But that God, according to his will, had appointed him. And so what is God's will in my life, in your life, in, in young Timothy's life? The word that we use here, what is God's desire? What is God's will? What is God's desire for you? What is God's purpose for you? What is God's choice for you in your life? Obviously, God calls us to saving grace. That is God's will in my life and your life, that you would come to saving grace. And then God places us in ministry. Now, it might not be the ministry of the church. It might not be the ministry in the pulpit. It might be the simplicity of being the simple cupbearer like Nehemiah was. God calls us all to salvation, obviously, and then he calls us to prayer. What about prayer? Let's start with prayer. And so Paul was called into the ministry. Notice that he says, according uh, to the promise. The word promise, according to the pledge or the divine assurance of life now, life eternal that God has given me, that I have now in Christ Jesus. That's the same promise we have this morning, church. Man, the world, it gives us promises, it gives us solutions, but only the true promise and the true assurance is in Jesus Christ. We know that. Now, we're part of the world, but, you know, we we don't partake of the things of the world. And so God calls us. And this was Timothy. This was Paul the Apostle. And so he's bringing this forth in the greeting. Look at verse 2 now. To Timothy. So it's personalized. And then he calls him, listen, my beloved son. And then he says to Timothy, and if you've listened to the Pauline epistles before, he always uses grace and he uses peace. They're called the Siamese twins. But he adds mercy in this particular salutation. He says here, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have to look at this last epistle, this last letter 
let us look at it personal. Now it's personal to Timothy, but let, us, let it be personal to us also. And so I like this position. Uh, to Timothy, personal. Remember Timothy's name? In the Greek, it meant honored of God. My beloved son. Listen to the personalization there. Uh, my dearly agape son. My dearly loved son. And then he says, grace, unmerited favor, mercy, compassion, and peace. Remember that word peace? Now, we cannot receive God's peace until we receive first his grace. Unmerited favor, I deserve judgment, but he gives me grace. And in the process here, not only grace, but he gives us mercy. And then we come to that place that God gives me the peace that passes all understanding. Now, if you look at this word peace, that God brings quietness in my life, in your life. Not only that God brings quietness through this peace, but he also brings rest. Rest. And so many times we just get so caught up in the things of the world. We get so busy. And truly, when I come to Christ, I find that, that rest. I find that peace. I find that quietness. Oh, well, the trials are still there. <laughs> Basically, the world is still going, you know, its evil ways. We think the election is going to cure everything. We're still going to have the problems. And that doesn't mean we don't vote. And that doesn't mean we don't pray for our, you know, those that have authority over us. It's our, our, it's our privilege, basically. But we still have trials, don't we? But God, in his infinite mercy, he gives us grace. He gives us mercy and he gives us peace. This quietness, this rest. And so I love this here now. Now, Timothy is going to be exhorted with love and compassion. Have this type of genuine faith, Timothy. You already have it. It needs to be stirred up. So I want to talk to you this morning about faith. Now, I often give you some background, and uh, I want to give you these two indications on faith. I go to my Bible dictionary, and this is what Unger says. Faith is having belief. Faith is having trust. Faith is having belief and trust in a higher authority, such as God Almighty. The idea in Scripture is having steadfastness and faithfulness in God and His Word. I like that. Having faithfulness in God and His Word. Now, secondly, we read in Nelson's Bible Dictionary, faith, having, uh, faith is having belief, having confidence, having attitude toward God and His Word. This is also a commitment to His will for one's life. That's what Paul said. It was by the will of God that he was called. He was called to salvation first, and then he was called uh, to the ministry. Faith. So important to understand faith. Now, I want to take it one more step. Leave a marker there. Go to the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 11. As you're going to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 has often been called the faith chapter. It's often been called the hall of faith because we're going to read about a certain you know, forefathers and some of the women that had such faith. So we come to this, uh, another translation people said, uh, you know, scholars write about Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the heroes of faith. And so a lot of times we desire, Lord, give me faith. And we might make some of these prayers. Lord, give me the faith of Abraham. Lord, give me the faith of Enoch. Ladies, give me the faith of Sarah, Lord. Lord, give me the faith of, of Rachel. She waited so long to have children. And so look at the hall of faith we're going to be speaking of here. But I believe that the writer of the book of Hebrews is Paul the Apostle. There are those that disagree. But in verses 1, 2, and 3, listen to how he describes faith so beautifully. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so here's that word faith again. And what is faith but my assurance 
in Christ. What is faith? But my belief system in Christ. What is faith? Here it says to have faith. It's to have that confidence that God has given me such faith. Faith in, in, in things expected, trusted. Faith that has not been seen. Sometimes we're called to step out by faith. Sometimes we don't know what's ahead until we step out by faith. Little did I know that, you know, 26 years later, we'd be here still in the Southwest. And when we first picked up stakes, literally, by faith, we moved 850 miles. We had no concept, no idea. We prayed, we sought the Lord. And even then, we had to step out, listen, by faith. What is God calling you to step out by faith? And it sometimes is unseen. Look at verse 2 now. He speaks about this type of faith. For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. The forefathers. The testimony of our Old Testament elders. The word elders here is the presbyteros. But it can also be translated our forefathers. They had such a witness in their faith in God and his word. And so I'm thinking of Paul the apostle here. And I'm thinking of young Timothy. They didn't have readily available yet the New Testament. They were writing the New Testament. But they lived by faith according to the Old Testament. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, we don't have time this morning. But they're going to be, it speaks about the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, the faith of, of Noah, the faith of Abraham, the faith of Sarah, the faith of Isaac. Remember when Isaac went out and looked for a wife and he had such faith. The faith of Jacob. As Jacob, through him, the 12 sons. And through him came the nation of Israel. The faith of Joseph. Joseph sold off by his brothers to slavery in Egypt. And yet such faith. And then the faith of Moses. Let my people go, and they wandered uh, in the wilderness for 40 years in such faith. And so Paul, I believe, is writing this book of Hebrews, and he's giving us insight. No wonder they call it the Hall of Faith. And then he brings it to creation. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now maybe some of you are builders, some of you, uh, you know, ladies, you, you make crafts and such, whatever it might be. Years ago I asked a gentleman in our fellowship here and I said, listen, I'd like for you to, if you wouldn't mind making us a pulpit. And he says, well, you know, let me pray about it. I, let me come up with some ideas. And, and I told him I wanted a pulpit for me. I wanted a big pulpit. That's why we take this down when people come and share, because usually you can't see them. And so we bring up the little pulpit. <laughs> but I wanted this pulpit. I designed it, uh, basically, the width and the height. And then he did the rest. But he took materials, and he built this pulpit. And so as I watched it built, yeah, my faith kicks in. But I want you to think of creation. God said, light be, and it was. Darkness, and it was. We know that he made the plant life, he made the herbs, he made the seed, and it was. The Bible says that God made something from nothing. The word that he uses in creation, he created, the word is bara. He made something from nothing. He said it, and it was done. The spoken word, the rhema, if you may. And so imagine what kind of faith you need to have. Now, the evolutionists tell us we're nuts. You're crazy. You believe that a creator made the heavens and the earth? Yes. Oh, you guys are foolish. And they walk away with their Ph.D., and they say, we came from monkeys. And they said, this world was created by a big bang. Let me tell you something. Now, that takes faith. Now, I've seen a few monkeys in my time, and I know you have, and some of them are close. They look like Uncle Joe or whatever, but they did not come from there. God created man. He made all the plant life. He made all the herbs. He made everything. And then he made the animal life. And then he said, I am going to make man 
and I'll give him dominion. God takes dust from the earth and he makes man. And he blows into his nostrils life. Life. And we believe that by faith. We believe that by faith. It's amazing. And Paul, he came to grips with this. Now he's telling Timothy, have this type of faith, Timothy. Don't give up. I think maybe Timothy was ready to throw in the towel. And then think about Timothy, my, my teacher. He's in prison. I maybe will not see him again. Did he think and did the Spirit speak to him? Listen, he is going to die. Martyrdom is part of Paul's life. Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive without him? Your faith, Timothy, is based upon Christ. Your faith is based upon the writings of Christ. And Timothy, little did he know that he was being part of the New Testament, which we have today. And so Paul continues. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 3. And he's going to begin to lay down a foundation about Timothy. And he has to be reminded. And sometimes, church, we need to be reminded. After the first service, several people came up and said, Thank you for reminding me about my faith. And I go, well, thank the Lord because he reminded me of my faith. And we need to be reminded. And so he speaks about Timothy's faith. Listen. And then Timothy's heritage. Don't forget the roots that you came from. And moms and dads, this is going to be part of your teaching this morning. Oh, we have a responsibility to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. Look at verse 3 now. I thank God, Timothy, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. I love that. But we begin to see, uh, as Paul's penning this second letter, his last letter, his goodbye letter, if you may. And so we see Paul's heart towards Timothy. Remember, he called him his beloved son in the spirit. I thank the Lord my God for you, the God I serve. Now, we often say, I serve God. But in the Greek, to serve God means to worship God. And to worship God means to what? To serve God. And so a lot of times we might murmur and complain, oh, I have to usher again today. Oh, I have to fold bulletins again today. Oh, I'm stuck with the children again today. Listen, it's a form of worship. It's a form of praise. It's a form of service unto the Lord. You heard that old story? And the wife's trying to wake up her husband. Listen, you got to get up you got to go to work. It's Sunday. And she says, he didn't want to get up. And he says, I don't want to go today. I don't feel like going. She says, you have to go. You're the pastor. And that's so true. It is so true. I have to remind myself, I'm the pastor. Get up. And sometimes you have to be initiated again with that faith. And it's not a word, but it's a time, it's a, it's a form of worship unto the Lord, whom we serve. It's a form of worship. Paul says, I do it with a pure conscience. Look at verse 3 again. A pure conscience, a clean heart. Just as my forefathers, we just shared Hebrews chapter 11, as Abel, as Enoch, as Noah, as Abraham, as Sarah, as Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, as my forefathers. Interesting, I mentioned Rachel, and she's not mentioned. But yet she was a woman of faith. He says, as my forefathers before me. So Paul says, and I love this part, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Now, I've seen this word before, without ceasing. The Greek is telling us having a continual remembrance of you in my prayers. Paul prayed for Timothy. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. We're going to continue in the pastoral epistles, and obviously Paul prayed for Titus. Paul prayed for the church at Rome. Paul prayed for all the other churches, and then, you know, some of the individuals that he mentions, he prayed for them. This 
remembrance, continual remembrance. Think about it now. Fourteen epistles. Some of these were epistles were to actual churches and some to individuals. What about Philemon? The concern and the care. Now, one commentary said this about Paul as a man of prayer. Paul had great power in ministry because Paul had great power through prayer. And it has been said that the church travels on prayer. And so much prayer equals much power, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you've heard this one. Seven days without prayer equals one week. W-E-A-K. How do we pray? But we pray by faith. We pray by faith in God. And we pray by faith in His Word. That His will will be done. I don't go out and say, Lord, I want that and I want this. And I believe it by faith. We must pray according to God's will. Now, I've prayed for the sick. You've prayed for the sick. I've prayed for myself. Lord, I ask for a healing. I ask for your mighty touch. But Lord, let your will be done, not my will be done. My friend that we're praying for in Arizona, he knows. He knows the scriptures just as much as we do. And we see God's will. Is it God's will to heal you? Yes. Is he going to heal you and keep you here? Or is he going to heal you by taking you home? You see, that's God's domain, not mine. And we can come up with all the remedies. Lord, I still need to be here. Lord, I still have time. But we've shared this before. Christians die. Young, middle-aged, old. What is your will, Lord? And so Paul remembered Timothy in his prayers, and all the other churches in prayer, and all the other saints. And, you know, it's, it's neat because I've been in the ministry long enough, and, and I know a lot of people's names, but, you know, I mean, we're not perfect. We forget. But God brings pictures as I pray sometimes. Some of you, and God shows you. Pray. Pray. Now, I used to get mad when God would wake me up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd say, well, what, why am I awake? Why is my wife asleep? Why don't I get to sleep? Until God showed me, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Take some time. Don't get mad anymore when you wake up. Start praying. And you know what happens? It's a remedy also. You start praying, and before you know it, you're sound asleep. And you think you prayed all night. No, you didn't pray all night. God used that to put you to sleep. But God wants to see our hearts. And Paul's prayer, listen, look at verse 4 now. Here's Paul's prayer also. I greatly desire to see you. Being mindful, he remembered Timothy, being mindful of the tears that I may be filled with joy. Paul's in prison. Paul's in the ministry. He knows Timothy's in ministry there in Ephesus. He hears of the, you know, the, the, the trials, the tribulations, the hardship, the pain, and it hurts Paul. I know it's hard for you, Timothy. I know the ministry. Maybe Timothy was thinking of quitting. And Paul says, I remember. I'm mindful of your prayers. So Paul, he knew Timothy. He was like his own son. And he longed to see him again. And this did not happen because we know historically that Nero uh, had Paul beheaded. And yet Paul desired and he remembered the tears of this man. Now I want you to turn to a passage that's beautiful. Go to the book of Acts. And let's go to chapter 20. When Paul was getting ready to leave Ephesus, he had spent three years there with him. And Paul had a hard time leaving Ephesus. And I, and I think a lot of it had to do with Timothy and others that were there at the church. So Paul gives word and he asks Timothy and the rest of the leadership to meet him outside of Ephesus. And we've come to Acts chapter 20, and he gives this beautiful farewell speech. Now, we don't have time this morning, but on your own, study verses 17 through 38. But Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. 
And they fell and they kissed him and they wept with him. Timothy has to be there. And look at verse 36, Acts chapter 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. Now, guys don't think it's weird, but this is a Middle Eastern custom. And there was such a love and a compassion and a grace between these guys. And the leadership loved Paul. And imagine Timothy, and they were just, you know, loving on Paul. The compassion and the love and the grace that can only come from a born-again believer. They all wept freely. And they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. Uh, Look at verse 3 or 38 now. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke and that they would see his face no more. Paul knew it. And they accompanied him to the ship. Was Paul thinking of the trials, the hardships, the pains that his beloved son in the spirit, Timothy, would be going through? He has to stir up that gift that's within him. Become dormant. Timothy was kind of just laying back. He has to be warned and encouraged. And so notice that he uses these words here at the bottom of verse 4. That I may be filled with joy. In other words, this joy is joined with desiring to see you. And it didn't happen. But yet it brought joy to Paul's heart. And even the tears that they had shed. The hurts and the pains. Paul went through this with all the churches. And I want to show you another example. Uh, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. In the churches that Paul wrote to, all oh, relationships were just beautiful. And the men that he would minister to, but directly to the churches also. And each church, they would leave elders and, and bishops and such. But oftentimes, Paul would have to leave. And I just want you to see here in Romans chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Making request if, by some means now, at last, I may find a way uh, in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. The word built up. That is, that I, may be, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both you and, and I have. That our faith is what the glue that keeps us together. The faith that, that Paul saw in Timothy and Titus and Barnabas. The faith that Paul saw in, in the church at Ephesus. The faith that Paul saw here at the church at Rome. And so such faith, church, it is so important on your own. When you get home, study Romans chapter 16. That's the conclusion of the letter. And, and Paul mentions a slew of names. He mentions them by name. He had such faith with them, such grace with them. Imagine what Timothy was going through in the ministry, the tears. Paul saw them. Paul heard of them. Paul had compassion. We read this morning in our psalm of the day. Uh, we were reading Psalm 56, and I believe it's in verse 8. And it says that God stores our tears in a bottle. And then he places them in a book. In a book? You know, oftentimes when you go through your trials and your hardship and your pain, and you say, Lord, do you know what's going on in my life? And you cry out to God. The Bible says he has your tears in a bottle. I think we're going to be surprised one day when we get to heaven, and, you know, God's speaking to you now directly, and, and you know, you turn around, I'm just thinking you're in his office, and, Lord, whose are all those bottles, and what are they? Those are yours, Bob. What do you mean they're mine? Those are when you cried, when you wept, when you sought me. And how many times when we pray, when we seek God, when we even weep, and the enemy comes in and says, hey, God's not listening to you. 
He's too busy. You're just a little guy. You're just a little person. The enemy uses every tactic. And then the prayers aren't answered, right? They're not answered according to your will. But maybe God's answer was no. And so we have to be content. And so Paul, he saw Timothy's heart. He heard of Timothy. God sees our heart. And right now we are weeping for our pastor friend. It's not easy, church. And so Paul speaks about this genuine faith. Look at verse 5. Let's go back to our text. And he begins here now that, that word genuine faith. And Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith, underline that, make quotations around it, that is in you, which dwelt first of all in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I am persuaded, I am persuaded is in you also. This faith. Oh, Paul saw the, the faith of Timothy. In fact, I, I could actually believe that Timothy had faith that Paul would say, hey, all right. Because we'll always run into somebody else and we say, Lord, thank you for their faith. Thank you, Lord, because right now I'm down on my faith. I'm not the, as faithful right now. Lord, I'm more, if you want to describe me right now, Lord, I'm faithless. I'm like doubting Thomas. We all go through these bouts. And it's not to be ashamed of. But I recall in remembrance. Listen, Timothy, your genuine faith. Listen to the words. I remember the genuine faith in you. Unfeigned faith. Faith without hypocrisy that was in you. That belief system you had. You still have. That is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in the word of God. Faith in your fellow man. Paul saw that Timothy, his unfeigned faith, listen, and here's his heritage, and here's our heritage. His faith came from his family. It came from his grandmother, and it came from his mother. Again, there's no mention of Timothy's dad. Did his dad abandon them? Did he die? We don't know. But oftentimes in scriptures, ladies, listen to this. We see the moms take the reins when the dads are not there. And rightfully so. But let me encourage both parents this morning. It's our responsibility, not the church, but it's our individual responsibility to raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. Yes, we'll train your child. We'll teach your child. But we only have them for a season. You have them for 25 years or more. I, I still talk to my kids. They're older now. I still talk to them. You know the proverb? It's a beautiful proverb. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he or she is old enough, he or she will not depart from the faith. Teach them. Share with them. Encourage them. The word to teach or to train means to teach to be an example, to discipline the children in the ways of the Lord. We have a responsibility. The word to train is not only the word to discipline or to teach, but listen, it's also the word to dedicate. You've been here enough times. We dedicate the children unto the Lord. We don't baptize children. You need to come to saving grace first, and then water baptism follows. You baptize a child, an infant child. I was baptized as an infant child. I don't remember it. But once I came to saving grace, as a young man, six months later, I desired water baptism. And I was baptized. You were baptized. But God calls us to that place. We dedicate the children unto the Lord. We train up the children unto the Lord. We teach the children unto the Lord. And listen, 
they will not depart. Timothy was trained by his grandmother and by his mother. Beautiful. Moms, dads, we need to train our children. Listen, if you don't, if you don't, the schools will. And the schools are very liberal. And if the schools don't get them and the schools will get them, then the media will get them. Too many kids are being raised by television. Too many kids are being raised by video games. The commercials are raising our kids. We need to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. Listen, as long as our children live in the house, you're going to go to church with me. I don't want to go to church today, Dad. You are going to church. You had enough time to go to the movies. You had enough time to go to the mall. You had enough time to go to the basketball, football, baseball game. You had enough time to go down the street to go see your friends. You got enough time to go to church. Let's go to church. You're 25. You're old enough. You got a job. You got your apartment. Do what you want. But under my house, what did Joshua say? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to instill, listen, moms and dads, we have to instill faith in our children. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. His grandmother and his mother raised him in the scriptures. Moms and dads, listen. Your children need to see you pray together. Your children need to see you come to church together. Your children need to see you serve together. Your children need to see you do church together. It's an example. It is so important. I recall, Timothy, the genuine faith, not fake, The genuine faith, not hypocritical, the genuine faith that was bestowed in you by your grandmother and your mother. Verse 6, let's continue. Therefore, I remind you. And here's where Paul comes into the picture. He has to restore the confidence. Obviously, Timothy was backpedaling, if you may. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Let me remind you. The word to stir up. Let me ignite the flame. Let me fan the flame of the spiritual gifts that were given to you by the laying on of hands. We've all seen, you know, maybe even a briquette fire. Or you've made a fire in the pit. We've all made a, a fire. Maybe if you have a you know, chimney at the house and fireplace and all that. And you know, there's a certain time, if you don't stroke it, if you don't move, if you don't add, it goes dormant. But the embers are still there. And it just takes a little bit. Stir it up. Fan it. Let's go. Come on, Timothy. You had that unfeigned faith. Go for it. Get back into the program. And sometimes we need to be encouraged, church. Sometimes God has to, you know, encourage us. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes God puts us on our back. Sometimes God puts us in the hospital. I've been told many times, I know why I'm here, Pastor. God is speaking to my heart. I've been running from God. I need to get back. I need to get back to my first love, which is Christ. Now, Timothy was called. I want you to flip back now. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 12. Here's where Timothy was laid hands on for the first time. And sometimes we need to be laid hands on more than once, obviously. And look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Take heed... Paul says, to your ministry, let no one despise your youth. We knew that Timothy came into the ministry at least 30 years old. He was still considered a young man. But be an example to the believer. And here's the example you need to be, Timothy. Here's the example we need to be, church. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. God has placed gifts in us. Let them be put to work. Verse 13 goes on, till I come. 
Timothy, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And he's speaking about sound doctrine. Do not neglect, I like this, the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy, which was by the laying of hands of the eldership or the presbyteros. Somebody laid hands on him for prayer. Somebody laid hands on him and prayed and prophesied over him. Timothy, I'm reminding you of this call on your life. And then I like verse 15 and 16. Meditate. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them uh, that your progress may be evident to all. Meditate. Revolve in the mind over and over again. And you know, sometimes we have to be reminded. Listen, you're saved. Sometimes you need to be reminded. Listen, I've called you into the ministry. Sometimes I need to be reminded. Listen, serve the Lord diligently. You see, repetition is a great teacher. So meditate. Revolve these things in your mind over and over again. In verse 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, this sound doctrine, the word of God, continue in them. He says, for in doing this, this is a radical statement. In doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Didn't Paul write to us, work out your salvation in fear and trembling? You know, be careful that we don't just go, I'm saved. Man, put that that faith to work. Put that faith to, to move mountains. Put that childlike faith. Put that unfeigned faith to work. Put that that faith that comes from the throne room of God. Put that faith. You were anointed. You were empowered. Back in Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit was given to the church. It's the same power today. Well, I don't want to speak in tongues, brother. No, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if it's in the evidence of speaking in tongues, so be it. But there are so many other gifts. And God wants to empower us. God wants to empower us. And he takes it further. Look at verse 7 now. Let's go back to our text. For God has not given us, the church, the body of Christ, a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of the power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul's exhortation, it's in love and it's in compassion and grace and mercy. Timothy, continue in your God-given genuine faith, unfeigned faith, unhypocritical faith. Continue in it. That was given to you by God, not in the spirit of fear, but in the power of love and of a sound mind in Jesus Christ. Timothy, God gave you the power of his Holy Spirit. He has given you and me this morning the power of God's Holy Spirit. Remember the word power? Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit of power. Uh, The word dunamis is the word power where we draw that God wants to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. The word dunamis is the word dynamic. It's the word supernatural power that comes from above. I should be able to do these things with the power of God's love, the power of God's grace and mercy. Now I want you to turn real quick. We just have a few minutes. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. And 19. You see, God has not given us the church, the body of Christ. Listen, He has not given us the spirit of fear, fears of the enemy, fears of the world, fears of Satan, Lucifer, the old devil himself. But God has given us such freedom. In the epistle of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 17, he begins, and he says, Love has been perfected or completed among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. God gives us boldness. 
He gives us boldness in our salvation. He gives us assurance in this boldness of salvation. How is it done? But by the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, there is no fear in love. The word is agape love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who, uh, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Uh, the ones that, that have fear are the ones that are not born again of the Holy Spirit. The ones that are not Christian. But yet, fear comes in. It's part of our lives. But we need to reject that and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Fear is not of you. Fear is of the enemy. And then he concludes here, verse 19. We love him. Listen to this. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. We're told in the book of Romans that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Timothy needed that gift to be stirred up. And sometimes we need that gift, that calling to be stirred up. The power of the Holy Spirit will shrink back in our lives. He won't leave us, but he'll shrink back in our lives and we're not effective anymore because the power's not there. It's there, but it's not working. The embers again need to be stirred up. The flame has to be kindled again. This was Timothy, I believe. Now let's go back to the conclusion, verses 8 and 9. And he just leaves this emphasis. Timothy, you have genuine faith. And man, don't be ashamed of the gospel. I don't know if Timothy had come to that place. Then he says, don't be ashamed of me either. You know, there could have been those that were going around saying, hey, Timothy, where's your protege, your teacher, that is? Where's your teacher? I hear he's in prison. Words out that they're going to kill him. What are you going to do now, Timothy, son of the Spirit? I'm sure there were those type. Notice verse 8 now. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, Timothy, his prisoner. But share with me. Listen to this. This is the hard one. Share with me in suffering for the gospel according to the, the power of God. Paul's encouragement here. Never be ashamed of the witness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And don't be ashamed of me either. Yes, I'm in prison, but I'm in prison for Christ. It's God's purpose. But with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the gospel's sake. I think Paul was giving Timothy some insight there. Remember, he had a little stomach problem. So physical pain for the boy, young man. And then ministry, ministry is never easy. There's hardships, pain, there's trials, there's tribulations. Timothy, you're going to go through it. But your strength comes from the Lord. And so, with the strength of God that he gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the gospel's sake. Paul was a seasoned veteran in ministry, yet he knew the trials, the hardships, the pains, and Timothy had already faced and will continue to face. Listen, especially after Paul's death. And then verse 9, we conclude this morning. And he says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, I want you to see that. Did grace come when I got saved? Yes, but grace has been around even before creation. In other words, if you go to Genesis 1-1, we read from, you know, to the right, that is. We read from the left to the right. But if you go to Genesis 1-1 and you go to the left, there's nothing there. God's grace was already there was already implemented that grace was just waiting in other words God knew because God is all-knowing he's all-powerful he knew that Adam and Eve was going to sin he knew that he was going to have to shed blood in the first animal sacrifice 
He put covers on them. He knew that the cross was already being prepared according to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the prophecy. And eventually that Jesus would become the final high priest and the final and complete sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Paul's heart is reminding Timothy, God has graciously saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. The Greek here is really interesting. The word calling, that he bid on us a holy bidding, not by works, but by his mighty grace. In other words, before we were even born, God had already bid for us. God had already called us, completed that calling at the cross. When he shed his blood for each and every one of us, we're not saved by works. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace through faith <laughs> and not of works, lest the man should boast. And if we could save ourselves by works, we would boast. If I could give so much money, if I could give so much time, if I could do you know, whatever needs to be done, if I was told this is what you need to do, and you will be saved. We would do it. But we're saved by grace through faith. God calls us to saving grace. God empowers us uh, to ministry. And ministry is not necessarily at the church. Ministry is being part of the body of Christ. You're called to be in ministry at work, at school, at play, at home. I mean, fill in the blanks. Some of you might go to lunch after church. Ministry's there. People around you, you could pray for them. Waitresses, waiters that come to you, they're hurting. You have the answer. That faith, that genuine faith that God has placed in you, that same faith that he placed in Timothy and Titus and Paul and Barnabas, and the list goes on. Remember Philemon and Onesimus? They had such faith too. One was the owner and one was a runaway slave. God is no respecter of persons. God has called us to a genuine faith. Let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the example of your word, how it works in others' lives. We have the heroes of faith there in Hebrews 11. We have Timothy that was dormant in his faith at a time and that it needed to be stirred up again. Father, encourage us this morning. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here that's never made that commitment to Christ. Lord, that they would not leave here without Jesus. I'd like to give you that opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time. Or maybe you've been here before, but you've never accepted Christ. You know it. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Don't be embarrassed. But today is the day of your salvation. If that's you right there where you're at, I want to say a prayer of faith with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. If you need to come to Saving Grace this morning... Please raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Whoever it might be, young or old or middle-aged, if you need to be born again this morning, please raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody before we close. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, then you need to come to saving grace. As I look around and nobody raises their hand, praise God. Then if we're all saved, praise the Lord. Then let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for those that are here this morning that you have called to saving grace. But, Lord, maybe some of us, that faith is dormant. That faith is asleep. That faith has backpedaled. Lord, it needs to be restored.
It needs to be stirred. It needs to be agitated. It needs to be kindled. Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would engulf us once again, Lord. Empower us with your love and grace and mercy. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, give us genuine faith. Faith like a mustard seed. Childlike faith, Jesus said. Faith that can move mountains. Lord, give us such faith. And Father, we pray your hand upon each and every individual here this morning, especially the moms and dads and the grandparents, that we would take the initiative of uh, Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mom and to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. Father, bless the offerings this morning. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless your people now, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. Pastor